Hey, my name is Philip Craig. I'm the pastor here at Aria Church. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope this podcast empowers you, hope it fuels your faith, and hope it impacts your life. Enjoy the message. I mean, I'm telling you, but it really illustrates, right, what I want to talk about today. Every man knows this. Why do we want to make several journeys when we can make one journey, okay? That's a true fact. I want to talk about patience. It was this man's lack of patience that cost him in the end. And you know what? I want to encourage you with this thought. It is our lack of patience that was going to get us in the end. Anyone blessed with an abundant amount of patience? None of us, okay? No one has too much patience to go around, okay? It is the slow driver in front of you. So when I left the house today, I drove by Oma. We had a bunch of road closures. So I came by Oma and then Dungannon and then on up the, up the dual carriageway. And I met everybody was taking their trailers out this morning. It must be national trailer morning, okay? And uh, so that was it. Maybe it's Amazon and they can't do it the next day, okay? It's a total nightmare. What about when you go to the restaurant, everybody, and the people who come in after you get their dinner before you? Any one of that? That's always cause for conversation, okay? But what about the big ticket items? What about the big things that you know God has spoken to you about that you are still waiting on? Is there anyone in the room or online, okay, that is waiting on a promise from God to be fulfilled? okay? There's a bunch of us in the room, okay? So, you you maybe have others on this list, but let me show you my potential for impatience list. This is the list that has the potential to make us impatient, especially if we're waiting for God to move. Some of us, perhaps, we are waiting on a partner, okay? We're single, we are widowed, we are divorced, and we're hoping to meet someone perfect for us. We get a sense that God has spoken to us, but up until this moment, there is not much happening. It doesn't seem very obvious. Others, you are waiting for a pay rise. That's a metaphor I'm using to to speak of some sort of financial breakthrough. Heaven knows the way things are going. We're all going to need a financial breakthrough, yes? I'm telling you. Some of us are waiting on a payback. We're waiting for God to take over and avenge us in some way. Some of you have been betrayed or offended or hurt in some way, and you are wondering and waiting for God to move on your behalf. When will I get vindicated? Lord, I'm, I'm, my, my tongue's a mess for biting it. I want to react. I want to post. I want to put something online, <laughs> but I'm waiting for you to move. Some of us were waiting for a plaster. Again, a, a, a little metaphor I'm using for we're waiting for a healing for an illness or whatever it is that you are going through. And then others, perhaps you are waiting for a pathway. God has spoken clearly to you. He knows He's somewhere. You know that He has somewhere for you to be, something for you to do, and you are waiting on a pathway, but as yet there is no response. Yeah, there's been a little grace, that's little sort of notions, little reminders along the way, but the promise has not been fulfilled. Anyone? Come on, anyone in the room? In the Bible, and especially in the Old Testament, we go to the Greek, the word patience is, is a word called hypomone, and you can break that apart, and the word hypo means under, okay, and mone means to remain or abide. So when we squish those two together, what patience means in the New Testament is this ability to live under, to live under the pressure of the thing you are waiting for. And I love this because it doesn't say we are to exist 
under. It doesn't say we are just about to make it until the patience thing happens. It doesn't say we got to fake it until we make it, not at all. But it says we can live under the thing that we are waiting for God to do. One of the saddest things, I think, in life is to, for people to put their whole life on pause while they're waiting for God to do something and, and wondering, yeah, yeah that's, when, that's when my life will start. But the truth is, while we are walking and waiting, it can seem really, really difficult. It doesn't matter if it's a partner or a pay rise or a payback or plaster or pathway, living under and thriving under and walking through with victory, brother, under all of this while we're waiting can seem very difficult. The writer of the Proverbs captures it well for me. He puts it in Proverbs 13 verse 12. He says, hope deferred makes the heart, it makes the heart sick. And we all know what that feels like. You wake up on a Monday and you think, oh, this is the day. This is the day I meet him or her. This is the day vengeance will be mine, saith the Lord, and a little bit for me as well, okay? This is the day we get the breakthrough. This is the day the pathway comes. This is the day the Bible comes alive. Well, not so much today. Okay, well, I'll believe again for tomorrow. Then Tuesday comes. Oh, maybe lunchtime. Maybe this evening. Oh, well, Wednesday, whatever. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, month, 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 six months, a year, a year, a year keeps going. It seems to go on forever. Some of you even are ready to tap out. Some of you are waiting so long, you're so discouraged and even so disappointed, you could feel the desire, the temptation to walk away. I don't think God hears me, so therefore I no longer believe God is real. We can downgrade our faith to active to reactive, and you're quite content to sit there, and when God moves, well then so will I. But until then, I'm out. But there's a life to live, everybody. There's a life to live, and I believe this, that God wants to hear you, and He wants you to hear me this morning and to hear the heart of His Spirit. God knows the promises He's made you, and God is doing stuff in this moment. And until He reacts to the promise, until He fulfills the promise, there are things that I want us to talk about that could help just navigate this season. And I, I kind of called it this way, it's the potential pain of impatience. If we get the impatience bit wrong, everybody, then certain other outcomes will happen. Peter Marshall was a, was a, a Scottish theologian and pastor years ago, and he said this, and it was kind of a prayer and a little maxim, and he said, Lord, teach us, O Lord, the disciplines of patience, for to wait is often harder than to work. And I don't know about you, but I, I, I like to work. I want to solve it. Men want to solve stuff. Ladies, how many people in your, if, you, if you've got a partner, you've got a husband, when you talk to him, he gives you the answer. You want just to be heard. We want to fix it. And when it comes to patience, we all want to kind of fix it after a while. We get tired waiting. We want to push through on the promise on our own. We become a little bit like God, okay? And the Bible is full of people who rush on ahead of God. I came across a verse recently which actually was kind of the, the touch paper spark fire for this talk, really. And it's in Ecclesiastes 7, verses 8 and 9. And it said this, the ending of a matter is better than the beginning. And then it goes on, and it says, patience 
is better than pride. And I don't know if you're familiar with that verse. I certainly, I'm sure, have read it, but it never stood off the page to me before. But I never understood the link with patience and impatience and pride. And as I began to pray about it and think about it and play about it, I discovered this, that actually pride, our pride, is the foundation of our impatience. Our pride is the foundation of our impatience. When you and I set out to bring about a promise that God has made us, but we do it in our own time, in our own strength, and in our own way, what we are doing is that we are acknowledging that our ways are higher than His. We're acknowledging that our thoughts are greater than His thoughts. We are suggesting that His strength is lesser than our strength, and everyone in our rate, listen to me, that is pride, and does anyone know what comes after pride? You go to 1 Samuel 10, verse 8. Israel has the new king, their first king, and the guy is called Saul. And Saul had never been a king before. Israel had never had a king before. And the prophet of the day was Samuel. And so Samuel was sent by God to teach Israel, and particularly Saul, how to be a king. Wouldn't it be awesome in your life to have a guide like Samuel to teach you a thing that you've never been before? Wouldn't that be helpful? And you can pick up the story in chapter 10. Let me read to you from verse 8. Samuel says to Saul, what I want you to do, it's really easy, right? this down, take a few notes on your note-taking app. He says, go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you. I'll sacrifice the burnt offerings. I will sacrifice the burnt offerings. I will sacrifice the burnt offerings. You, all you got to do is wait a week, okay? Wait a week, and I'll come down to you, and then I'll tell you what to do. Comprende? all good. Go to Gilgal. Do nothing for a week. When I get there, we'll have a big party, a bonfire to the Lord. We'll sacrifice. We'll do all the things. That's what we're going to do. But by the time we get to chapter 13, I'm not going to read it all, but you go to verses 7 to 10. What we discover is that Saul was dangerously close to waiting the full week, but he didn't. And he goes and he asks for one of the, the hats and the ephod and all the stuff, and he makes the sacrifices, and he makes the offerings himself as the priest. But he wasn't asked to be the priest, he was asked to be the king, with devastating consequences. Can you imagine what it was like for, for, uh, for Saul, the smoke just clearing from the sacrifices and over the hillside, there's this lone, solitary figure comes over. It's like, oh, oh no, it's Samuel. And Samuel gets closer and closer and closer. And Samuel rocks up to Saul, and he said in verse 14, 11, sorry, verse, sorry, verse 11, 1 Samuel 13, he says, what have you done? And Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering, the armies were, were, were leaving, and that you didn't come at the set time. That was wrong. And that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash when the enemy was getting closer, when my men were leaving and you weren't around. You know what? He says, I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. I felt compelled to step in. I felt compelled to take over. I felt compelled to do something in my own strength. 
And Samuel said, you have done a foolish thing. You've not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. And then I think it's one of the saddest words of all. He said, if you had, listen, think about the implications of this next line. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over all Israel for all time. Think about that. No kingdom of David, just the kingdom of Saul, ripped from him. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Isn't that awesome about David, though? This tells us you can be anointed and appointed and not even know. Amen. Unbelievable. So many things leading to Saul actions. But behind them all, there was fear. There was pride. There was worry. There was impatience. All of these things boil down to pride. It's the foundation of his impatience. I am a king, and therefore I can be a priest. And his house fell because of his pride. When we take over from God, okay, here's what happens. Here's the process. We rationalize our reasons. Saul said, I felt compelled. And you will feel compelled. You'll feel an urge to take over. Well, I'm not getting any younger. I'm not getting any older. Things are getting worse. Everyone else's life looks better than mine. God is taking too slow. Maybe I didn't hear God enough, and so there's not a promise after all. I will just bog on and take over and take things into my own hands. You rationalize the decisions for taking over. But how many people know that when you take over, you create this relational distance between us and God, Adam and Eve in the garden? God didn't cut them out, didn't cut them off, but what happens is they took a spiritual step away from the Father, and there was distance between them that God had to fill and rectify. What happens is, too, that we dilute our future legacy. Please listen to me here. We dilute our future legacy when we take the place of God while we wait. Samuel said to Saul, your kingdom will not endure. His legacy has now shifted. When we step in and we send the email and we put the thing online and we text them, I'll show you, that'll, hmm, that'll sort you out. When we want to get married and we run too soon and we, we, we hook up with people and we go out with people who don't carry the values that we do, but I want to be married and I feel the Lord's promise, da, 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 da. Do you know what happens in your future legacy? It is compromised. God was still faithful to Abraham all through, but how many people know Ishmael was the ancestor to the Arabs, Isaac is the ancestor to the Jews, and look how this is playing out today. And then finally, what happens when we take matters into our own own hands that we weaken the relationships with those that are closest to us? Verse 15 of 1 Samuel 13 says that Samuel left Gilgal. A nightmare. He just, I'm out. And he worked with Saul till David was installed. But the relationship dynamic was changed forever. When people you know and you trust and are pivotally in your life, and they have a history of offering you wisdom every time. When those people get ignored often enough, the strength of that relationship weakens over time. How many times have we asked for advice only to ignore the advice of the person we've asked so we can go and ask someone else who will give us the advice we want to hear? Oh, it's me. Absolutely. 
So what do we do in the middle of all this zone? So what we have is we have the promises of God. We have some time we don't know when when God will fulfill the promises because God will fulfill the promises. What we have is this life in the middle, and some of us, we are bubbling with impatience. What do we do as we bubble? We do this. We work our weight. W-A-I-T. We work our weight. So let me give you three things, and then I'm out. I'm done, okay? Three biblical practices that you can put into your life right now that will build your faith and actually get some life back in your belly as you navigate this season of waiting. And the first thing is this that I want you to do is to develop a habit, a practice of reminding God of the promises He made you. Okay? Now, God has not forgotten the promises He has made you. You have not forgotten the promises He's made you, but there is a world of biblical precedent that when the people of God are in a tight spot, that they can declare the promises of God back to God to let faith rise in their spirit. One of the most incredible prayers ever prayed in the, New Te- in the Old Testament, right, is in 2 Chronicles 20, verses 6 through 12. I'm going to read it out to you, but let me give you some context. Jehoshaphat is the king. Three neighboring nations are marching on their way to surround him and to take over the nation, okay? And he calls together a national prayer meeting come into the new courtyard of the temple in Jerusalem, and we're going to pray, all right? So, you imagine the crowds in Jerusalem, new courtyard. The king gets up on something like this, and you can hear the the crowd begin to quiet and awe. And then Jehoshaphat rises up, and in 2 Chronicles 20, verses 6 through 12, this is what he prays, church. He said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? What a wonderful way to start. You're the God of our past, and you're the God who is in heaven. And then he goes on, you rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Love this. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Amen? What a prayer. What a prayer. Our God, verse 7, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? What's he doing? He's reminding God, did you not give this land to Abraham and his descendants, and that is us? This, Lord, is our land. That's a promise you made. So look at all these other boys coming over to try and take our land away. Lord, you promised this was our land. Verse 8, he goes on, they have lived in it and built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or of plague or famine, we will stand in your, not beautiful, no matter what comes our way, we will stand in your presence. Come on, somebody. We will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now, here are men from Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when we came away from Egypt. 
So we turned away. They turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us for our descendants, leaving them alone? See how they're paying us back, Lord? Our God, verse 12, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. And I love this last line. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. What a prayer, Aria Church. What a phenomenal prayer. So here we have Jehoshaphat reminding God of all the promises He has made to them in this moment. I read a line recently in, this, in the context of this point where Charles Spurgeon, he said when he reflected on these verses in Second Chronicles, he said this, he says, I like to plunge my hand into the promises and then I find myself able to grasp with a grip of determination the mighty faithfulness of God. An omnipotent plea with God is, do as thou hast said. And so, I want to encourage you today, as we're navigating this, this, this little piece of life that's between the promise given and promise fulfilled, as the sensation of impatience is beginning to bubble up and rise within us, as we are feeling tempted to engage outside of the remit that we have been given by God, plunge your hand into the promises of God. Get open the Word, every Bible you've highlighted, every journal, every diary. I don't care if it's four minutes ago, four weeks ago, four months ago, four years ago, 40 years ago. Plunge your hand into the promises of God, and with a grip of determination, release the mighty faithfulness of God and declare over your life, over your family, over whatever it is, Lord, do as Thou hast said in Jesus' name. It's not over. We've got to keep reading the Word and get the Word out, out of us and into us and out of us. So, come on. Instead of huffing and puffing at God, you haven't moved, Lord, and you haven't done this. And <laughs> Grow up in the Lord and be bold and declare, Lord, do as Thou hast promised. Second thing is this. Understand this. A time waiting is never time wasted. Hello? Now, this is easier to believe the younger you are. Because the older you get, the more conscious you become of time. Am I right? I heard a preacher say this once, Jesus waited 30 years to minister for three years to save humanity in three hours. It's a great line, isn't it? He waited 30 years to minister for three years and save humanity in three hours as He hung on the cross between the sixth and the ninth hour. And in that moment, He bore all of our sin, all of our shame, all of the punishment we deserve was put on Him so we could go around it and be free in Jesus' name. And here's why. Here's why He waited 30 years. We find out in Luke 2, verse 52. Luke tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. What I want you to understand is that when Jesus and the incarnation arrived in Bethlehem, He was no less God when He was 30 seconds old than He was when He was 30 years old, but in His humanity, He had to wait. But Jesus knows that time waiting is never time wasted. 
And I want to remind you today, come on, you, you know this deep in your soul, it's not wasted for you either because God is doing something while you're waiting. God is working on your future because sometimes you're ready for your future and your future is not ready for you. In Genesis 15, we learn about how Abraham was told that it was going to be 400 years before the Israelites could come out of Egypt back to the promised land. Why? Because the sin of the Amorites is not dealt with. So, in other words, the future wasn't ready to receive them. And so, sometimes your future is not ready to receive you. God's working on your future. Sometimes God's working in the present, organizing things in the wings. But most of all, I've discovered, Aria Church, that God is working on you and me. You and me. Because in the end, church, God is more interested in your character than your calling. He's interested in who you are becoming more than where you are going. He's interested in who you are becoming more than where you are going. We always want to go somewhere. It's the becoming bit we don't like. When I was five, I wanted to be 10. When I was 10, I wanted to be 18. When I was 18, I wanted to be 21. When I was 21, I wanted to be 30. When I was 30, I wanted to be 21. When I was 21, I wanted to be 18. <laughs> Next January, I'm 50. I want to be 18. And God is always interested. And here's the other thing that I've discovered, right? Is this, this is the weirdest thing of all, that when God gives you a promise, the minute God gives you a revelation about your future, chaos comes to your world. Have you noticed that? Chaos comes to your world. And that chaos creates a season in your life that looks nothing like the life God just promised you. Yes? So God will say, A, chaos happens and produces B. B's not A, but all we can see is B. And this is why we get impatient. This is what is happening. See, I think of Joseph. I think of Joseph. I have this revelation that all my brothers and mom and dad and the whole tribe are going to bow down to me. I have an idea. Let me put on the coat my dad got me, and I'll go and tell them. And we know the story. Off he goes, big flappy coat on. They can see him over the hills. Here comes the dreamer, blah, blah, blah. Hey, lads, I'm paraphrasing now, but all you guys are going to bow down to me. Oh, do you think so? End of the pit. Off we go. Back of the cart. Midian, la, la, la. But think of Joseph. What goes through his mind? I've just been given this revelation that in order for it to be filled needs my brothers. And here I am in a cart heading to Midian or to Egypt, and my brothers are getting smaller and smaller and smaller by the mile. My dream is done. There was no flying, there was no text, there was no travel, there was no motorways, there was no be real, there was no TikTok, there was no Instagram, there was no nothing. As far as he's concerned, the dream is there is no way my brothers will ever bow down to me now. I think of David, anointed by Samuel of all people, back to our story of 1 Samuel, he gets the oil over him, heads back out into the field, Next, takes the cheese and ham sandwiches off to the brothers on the battlefield, Goliath's there, fee fi fo fum, giving it all the big licks, whatever. 
David goes, who's your man? Big man, Joe, bang, you know how it goes, off with the head. Everybody's rocking, everybody loves David. Oh, and now I know I was anointed back then, and I have just killed Goliath. The people are singing songs about me. Saul now has me in the court. Surely the next thing must be the crown. The crown must be the next. The crown on the throne, that's the next step. Surely I've had the anointing. I've had the big victory. They're singing songs about me. I'm in the palace. Oh, the only thing left is the crown. Whoosh. What's that noise? Whoosh. What's that noise? It's Saul throwing spears at me. And off he goes into the distance, into the desert for 12 years. I think of Moses. D.L. Moody said this, but Moses, he said, Moses spent 40 years thinking he was somebody, 40 years learning he was nobody, and 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. Hello? I think of our own life. I remember early on in our marriage, God gave us a dream that we'd be preaching in front of people. I could see crowds of people. And in five years, I was an estate agent with a crowd of people that I could never have imagined times four. It wasn't the crowd I was thinking of God, but hey, I'll take it. It's all good. Unbelievable. Chaos. Life looks nothing like the revelation. But in those moments, in the season that we are navigating, this bubbly, impatiency kind of bit here, this is the season for growing and trusting and refining and hoping and praying and serving and, be, and loving others and learning priorities and leading well and all of the above. And I have to tell you, it doesn't seem to stop. It seems to go on at every new level. Could we have the wee chart up there? Look at this. I made this myself. You want me to send this to you? I will. Look, number one, calling. Here's what comes. Chaos. Cart, Joseph, Spears, whatever. Okay, here we go. Character develops. Oh, well, okay. There's At least there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Competency. I've got new character. I'm growing in competency. I've gone to a new level. How many people know that every new level has a new devil? Up we go again. New calling. Guess what? background to character because you're not ready for your future until your character's developed and you grow and we're stretched and we're pulled and we're whatever and then competency. Oh, come on. Who is being stretched in the room? Who has been pulled in the room? Who is growing? Who is God increasing capacity in? I want to encourage you today. He's developing your character because He's growing your competency so you're ready for the new level of your calling. This is what God is doing in your life. Young man, you were singing today, yes, up here. I just got a sense as you, as, you were, as you were singing up here that there's a new wine about to be poured into your life. There's something new, either it's happening or it's about to happen. The old wineskin, the old you, it's been shed and ripped apart. What sparked me was this patches on your jeans, okay? There's no patches where you're headed because there's no rips and there's no tears, Amen. I love your jeans, by the way, but there's a new wineskin, and there's a new wine coming for you. Amen? Come on, somebody. This is for your life. This is for your life. How many of us in the room are waiting for God to come through? Come on, this is what God is doing. Paul affirms this in Romans 5, 3 to 5. He said, not only so, but we glory in our sufferings. Watch this, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. I don't like perseverance. <laughs> I, I, like, I like life like I like my dinner. Ding! Ready. Two minutes, high heat. Woof! 
there it is, okay? Perseverance, uh, character, and then character hope. And watch this, hope does not put us to shame. God will deliver on His promise because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit as who, who has been given to us. Let's go back to Joseph. There he is, he's got the, the makeup on, the, the big hat, the Egyptian, whatever it is, all looking tight and lean and whatever. Yule Brenner, if you know what I mean, who that is, for the older folk. Famine in Israel. Second in command. The whole show. The greatest superpower in the known world. There he is, number two. Uh, there's a few boys here to see you. Egyptian Joseph, equivalent name. Bring them in. And there they are. And what are they doing? When they see the Egyptian fella, they bow down before him. It's no wonder Joseph cried. He cried at seeing his brothers, but he cried at the faithfulness of God. Because in that moment, the promise was fulfilled. And in a few moments, he got tied it up and he, he got together with them. And in verse, Genesis 50, verse 20, he says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You don't know why you're going through the ringer. You don't know what purpose your life has been attached to. It could be for the saving of many lives. God is doing something in you, Ariat, because He wants to do something through you. I don't care how old you are or how young you are, if you can do this, it is not over for you. I'm telling you, He's shaping you, He's molding you, melting you, refining you. In God, time waiting is never time wasted. The Bible prophet Billy Joel, okay, in his song Vienna, he writes this lyric. He says, slow down, you're doing fine. You can't be everything you want to be before your time. So come on, trust God. Isaiah 49 verse 4, but I said, I've labored in vain. I've spent all my strength for nothing at all. Yet faith rises and he says, what is due me? is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you, God is moving in lives in this room because your life is attached to a purpose that's bigger than we can currently see. If I could have the worship team just come right back up, and maybe everyone, could we stand? Let's all stand together. We're so close to finishing. You've listened so well. Just one more little point I want to make, and then we're done. And then finally, we're going to remind God of the promises that He's made us. We're going to understand, everybody, that time waiting is, is not time wasted. And then finally and crucially, if you remember nothing else about this, remember this little bit. I want to encourage you to start living now. Start living now. 
you know what got Joseph noticed by Potiphar? Do you know what got him noticed by the jailer? Do you know what got him noticed ultimately by Pharaoh in the end? It's because even in the place of waiting and impatience and restriction, Joseph used his gifts. Joseph trusted God. Joseph lived anyway. He lived anyway. He refused to wait for the promise to be fulfilled before he started living his life. He didn't wait for a huge prophetic stage to start being prophetic. He was prophetic in the prison. He was prophetic in Potiphar's. He was gracious in Potiphar, even though his life was like nothing like the promise. How could the promise ever happen? My, I need my brothers for the promise. They're not, I'll never see them again. But regardless, regardless, when Potiphar's wife made the move, Joseph deployed integrity anyway. He kept faith anyway, and he released grace anyway. He used his gifts to help others. Potiphar's house was rivaled, nowhere like it in Egypt. He went to jail. The jailer gave him the keys. And while he was in the jail, this is so crucial, while he was in the jail, you know the two boys, they had the dreams, and Joseph I mean, if it was me, if this was Brian, I'd be in the corner going, stuff your dream. I know what happens with dreams. Your dream's not going to happen because my dream didn't come true, so I'm not going to get involved in your dream because the big man didn't get involved in my dream. Tap out. Good luck. Stuff you. Not Joseph. No, no, I'm going to trust God. In the place of chaos and restriction and limitation and unfamiliarity to the revelation of God in his life. He goes to the two guys, I can interpret that for you, and he interprets the dreams. Not so good for the baker, but all good for the wine taster. Two years, here's what Joseph did. Joseph said to the guy, when he got out, put a good word in for me. What was he doing there? I'm going to take this into my own hands again. Cost him two years. The Bible says it was two years extra in the prison. And then Pharaoh has a dream. I know a fellow had those dreams. Because in the prison, when you put me there, <clears throat> I had a dream and this, get him out of here. And can you imagine the day? You're Joseph. Stuck in a corner. Key turns. Well, it's not dinner time. Door opens. Light comes in. Joseph. Somebody says your name. Get up on your feet. Pharaoh wants you. You see, it's in the living. It was in the giving. It was in the serving. It was in the being that led to Joseph's promise being fulfilled. Don't stop living before the promise comes to don't stop serving until the promise. Don't stop deploying grace and faith and pray and being part of a great community and loving your spouse and living life or whatever you're, whatever's going on in your world. Don't stop. Because I'm learning it's in the living and it's in the giving that one day your door will open, light will hit your face, someone will say your name and you'll walk right out into the promise God has for your life. I'm finishing work your weight. 
writer of the Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways, all the restrictive ways, all the other place ways, all the, my life, there's nothing like the promised ways. Acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. And finally, Paul writes in Galatians 6 verse 9, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give hope you enjoyed the podcast today. I hope it encouraged you. There's a few things I'd love you to do. I'd love you to subscribe to our YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify account. This is so you can keep up with our most recent material and messages. If this ministry has impacted your life and you'd love to help us reach others, you can do that right now by going to ariachurch.org and giving now. Cannot wait to see you next week on the Ariat Church podcast.